and God not passes by. Amen. Well, good morning, church. God is good. Amen. Amen. I'm. We're continuing on our series. Is in the back of your bulletin. It's entitled "The Ultimate Love Story," um, in which we learn the true picture of who God really is. And so, if we can see who God really is, we can truly love Him because He loves us, right, beloved? Amen. And so we want to know how he loved us so we can love him in return. The sermon entitled this morning is The High Stakes of Love. The High Stakes of Love, I believe it's number six in his series of 12. The High Stakes of Love. And the opening text, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Seven. Now the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? But even though this is true, could God have made us different than how we are currently made? Could he have made us maybe so that we would not be allowed to bring sin into this world? Could he have made us that way? Could he made us like the animals with no freedom of choice? He could have. But he, if he did this, it would have been with such a great cost, right? So this morning as we study from the Word of God, the high stakes and the risk of love, may we also appreciate the freedom that God gives to us, right? Amen? Let us pray. Father, as your Word is open, help us to understand this Word. And Lord, may you make it clear and simple. In Jesus' name, amen. What were we created in? The Bible says in Genesis 1, 27, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So we were made after whose image? God's image we were made in. Now God's image is made out of, up of unrestrained free will. So because we're made after the image of God, we were all given the freedom to choose. Amen? Now, because we were made in the image of God, He had to make us with the freedom to choose. Now, you couldn't be like the animals who weren't in the, after the image of God. But because we were, we were for, He was forced to make us after His own image, which is... To a lower extent, unrestrained freedom to choose. God wanted a family that was different than the animals. See, with the animals, you can feed the animals, right? And you can pet them. And animals will love whoever feeds and pets them, right? Your animals. It doesn't matter. It's an instinctive love. But God wanted a love in which he could love freely and who the people would choose freely to love him back in return. And that's the type of love that God wanted. Now what did God put in the midst of the garden besides the tree of life? Turn to Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. What did God put in the midst of that garden? Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of what? Good and evil. 
In other words, God put good in the garden. It's interesting, I was listening to the Sabbath school this morning. The sermon goes completely with the Sabbath school this morning. Isn't it amazing how God works? So God put the tree of life there, but he also, in other words, he put good in the not only in the garden, but in the middle of the garden, he put good. And now in the middle of the garden, he also put bad. Why did he do this? When you think about that, one parent would actually put a knife right in the place of the middle of a baby, right? Why did God flash temptation right in his face, right? People have asked this question. If God didn't want Adam and Eve to sin, then why did he put the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil in the midst of the garden, right? Why would he do such a thing? And what they're saying is really, when they say this is, they say, you see, when people ask this question, what they're really saying is that God is really the one to blame for Adam and Eve's sin, right? Because he was the one that put the temptation out in front of them. And if God is the one to blame for Adam and Eve's sin, right, then God is really the one who created sin, and he's the one, he's not really love after all. Think about that. What parent who put a knife on the, right in front in the midst of the room where the child is playing around, right? What kind of God will place the knife, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the midst of the garden? Good questions. I think, don't you think so? Makes you think, right? Foolish parent would do such a thing. Must be a foolish God. He's the one to blame for sin. If God's to blame for the sin, then all the misery, the suffering, the pain, the death in this world is really indirectly because of God who caused all the problems in the first place, right? And who can love a God like that? And if we don't love a God like that, then why would I love him, right? And then why would I even serve him? We learn about the progression, right? We only obey God because we what? Love God. And we only will love a God we can actually see that we appreciate, right? Who can appreciate such a God like that? Very good questions. But when Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, they were given the power of choice, right? Amen? And then God was then obligated to give to them more than one option. Think about this. For in order for a choice to be a choice, you must have at least two options. True, right? Amen? You gotta have two options. If I say, I'm gonna give you a choice, if I say, okay, I'm gonna give you a choice, what Bible are you gonna choose? And then I say, this is, this is what you need to choose from a purple NIV Bible. Or you can choose a purple NIV Bible. <laughs> or I give you the other choice, which is a purple NIV Bible. Is that really choices? How many choices is that? Is a choice really choice if there's only one choice? If the choice really choice if there's only a good choice? If the only choice he had was that there was only the tree of life in the garden, is that really, was God really giving them the freedom to choose? If there's only one choice, you could only choose good. Is God really giving them a choice? He was not giving them a choice. In fact, if I only give you one option, if the only option I give to you as a child or your husband or wife or whatever, if I say the only choice, you, you can choose whatever you want. But here's your choice. One choice. Am I really giving you a choice? And what I'm really doing is, 
I'm manipulating the whole situation so that you would actually be forced to choose what I really want you to choose. Is that not true? If I give you one choice, I'm really forcing you to choose only one choice. If God only put the tree of life in the midst of the garden, he really is only, what he's doing is only forcing you to choose only one option, which is not really a choice at all. And get this. If he did that and he only forced you, gave you one option to choose, he would then be forcing you to love and actually to serve and obey him because you had no other choice, right? You ever been in a situation with that? You did something because your boss gave you your option. You only had one choice. Basically, you were doing what your boss wanted you to do because you had no other choice, right? You did what your spouse did because wanted you to do because you had no other choice. And really, it's a form of manipulation and control. If I give you one choice, you, can, this is, you only can do this. I'm basically controlling you to do what I want you to do. Is that true? Right? I'm manipulating that you have one choice. I'm making it so that you can only do one thing and the thing that I, the very choice I've given to you. Now look at the um, handout here. The first quote, it says here, inspiration says, God does not force anyone. He leaves all free to what? Choose. Amen? Free to choose. Look at the next quote. The exercise of force is contrary to the principle of God's government. So you can't use force. He desires only the service of what? Love. And love cannot be what? Commanded. And it cannot be worn by what? Force or authority. In fact, you know what? The very, you know in relationships, the very thing that, you know what the very thing that destroys love is force, right? The only thing which love flourishes in is something called freedom, beloved. Amen? Freedom is where love really flows. You may get an obedience, yes, out of your spouse or out of your children, but that is not love. And it only lasts as long as you have the power over that person, right? Amen? Because once you're gone, they're going to do what they wanted to do anyway. Now, what always accompanies the Spirit of God? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. First, I mean, first, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. What always accompanies the Spirit of God? You see, beloved, God cannot force you to love Him. Do you, know, do you realize that? Amen. That's against His government. God cannot force you to love Him. The only thing he can do is that with, with everlasting love, I have what? What does the Bible say in Jeremiah 31.3? With everlasting love, I have drawn you. God does not force you. God draws you with his attractive mercies and his love, right? Amen? And then you respond to that. So pray to God that God will draw you with his love, that you will respond by loving him and thus serving him. God cannot force us. What does the Bible say accompanying the Spirit of God? The Bible says in verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, or where God is, there is what? Liberty. Another word for liberty is what? Freedom. So God is freedom, right? Amen? God is freedom. 
But the Bible says also in 1 John 4, 8 that God is also what? Love. So if God, you look at your hand, now God is freedom and God is love. You substitute, you substitute the word um, love for God, you get love is freedom. Amen? Amen? Love is freedom. True love is freedom. And the only way environment in which love can truly flourish is freedom. If you, use, if you use force and manipulation within a relationship, that is the very ingredients to kill love. Whatever relationship it may be, between church members, relationship between government and people, the church leaders and the people, between husband and wife, between parents and children, if you're Home environment is an environment where someone, one person feels oppressed because of the other person or in the church. That is the ingredient to kill the love that you have. If you feel that you feel pressured, that your husband is always telling you what to do and how to do it, and you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't go out here and that, if you feel controlled and forced and to obey in every aspect, you feel that love extinguishing. Is that not true? And it disappears. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. But love is free. You know, that's the thing about the culture here in Hawaii also. You always see that in local people. You always see that, especially among the local men. A control over the women. You always see that, right? I mean, those of you who grew up in Hawaii, that's just how the culture is. But you know, you're the ingredient, and the only reason why the women sticks around is because they're scared of the boyfriend. He's going to beat her up, or he's going to yell at her, he's going to lose the temper, right? You see that happen a lot. And the only reason they stick around is because they're stuck in marriage or whatever it may be. But the Bible says that this is totally contrary. We have to choose whether what the Bible says or what culture is, but we have to follow what the Word of God says, beloved. Amen? And so the Word of God says that love is free, beloved. Amen? It grants you the freedom to choose. Now, there's a question that was asked. And people say, well, if God knew that we were going to sin, then why did he make us capable of sinning? You ever heard that before? Why did he make us capable of sinning? He knew we were going to sin. He foreknew that sin was going to happen in the future. Why did he make us then capable? Could he not have stopped it? And see, what they're saying is that if God foreknew it and he still allowed us the capability to sin, then what he did is well, that he's the one to blame for sin and therefore all the pain and suffering that goes on in this world. And therefore God is truly not love after all. But think about that. Love cannot exist without freedom. Amen? Love cannot exist without this freedom. In order for love to exist, we must grant to others the right to love us and the right not to love us, right? That's true love. Bible love, not human love, but Bible love. In order to truly love others, we must grant the person the right to, to love us and also the right to reject us on every level. Not only when you're first starting to see each other, but even when you're married, like, you must also grant that freedom for them to love you or not to love you and also to serve or to do things that you ask them to do. That is truly what love is. And this principle also applies in our relationship with God. For in order for love to be loved, God also must grant to you the right to accept him, right? Or the right to reject him. Amen? 
That is love. God is obligated. God is forced. He cannot force you. Therefore, He must grant to you the right to, us, to love Him or to reject Him this morning. And not only that, but the very thing that God gives to us, we love, this freedom of choice, the very thing He gives to us as a gift to you and me, is the very gift we take, that freedom of choice, is the very thing we take and we use to reject God. Can you imagine that? And yet He still gives it to us. In other words, God is obligated by the rules of government, of the laws of love, to grant us freedom. And yet this gift He gives to you and me, He gives this gift of love, which is freedom, to choose to accept His love or to reject Him. Knowing that he, you will use that gift to still reject him, he still gives you that gift, beloved. Amen? What a God we serve. Amen? Can you imagine that type of love? That freedom to choose and a freedom to give to you and me? What a love that he has. It was this very risk of rejection that made creating us so scary to God. See, love is risky. Love is not like I can go in there and dictate to my boyfriend or dictate to my girlfriend what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and everything. That is not how love works. Love woos, love attracts, love draws, and it, and it brings a person to love each other, right? And it's the risk that you may show love to a person and they may still reject you. Is that true? Could that happen? That can still happen. And so God took a risk. He created us and he allowed us the freedom to either to love him or to reject him because he was forced by the laws of love which grants wherever God's spirit is, there is freedom. And I thank God for that freedom this morning. Amen? How about you? Amen? What were we created for? Turn to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. What were we created for? The Bible says in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou, God, has created all things, including us. Why? And for thy pleasure they are and were created. In other words, the reason why God created us was for pleasure. In other words, God created us for his pleasure, for to love him and to be loved by him. Amen? To love and to be loved. Now, there's a question that people ask, and they say, well, if God didn't want us to sin, then why didn't he just pre-program our minds that we would not sin, right? Does that make sense? Why can't he go in there and pre-program my mind and your mind? Yes, we could be doing whatever we want and choosing, but program us ahead of time so that we would not sin. Again, what people are really saying is that if God would be blamed for sin because he didn't plan ahead and pre-program our minds so that we would not sin. Therefore, God doesn't really love us. But in order to make sure that none of us would sin, what would God have to do? He would have to go into our minds and pre-program our minds ahead of time that there would be no thoughts except those of the programmer, right? Which really would be 
God's thoughts, really. If the programmer, if you program something like a computer, you're really the one that's programming. In other words, it's not the computer thoughts, it's the programmer's thoughts. It's your thoughts programming into that computer, right? So if God was to get into your mind and pre-program you so you wouldn't sin, it would actually be God himself putting his own thoughts into you as a human. Do you see that? And if all our choices were predetermined, then we would in reality have no choice at all, right? Therefore, in order for us to not make the wrong choice of sin, God would have had taken away our free will. He would either take it away. I'm going to show you a story. Let's say that you're a single young woman, and you're about 30 years old, and you long for the companionship of a man. So you're watching this the infomercial. You seen those before infomercials on TV? And you're watching, and all of a sudden this infomercial pops up about a, someone, something called a perfect person companion. And with this person, perfect person companion, it comes with a 90-day money-back guarantee. <laughs> so you see this perfect person companion. And see, so you call up right there that 800 number. And you order it, and a perfect person comes to your footsteps within the foot um, of your the door within three weeks. Is there? Okay, so you read the manual, and then the manual tells you that you can program this perfect person companion. You can program however you want. So, which is every woman's desire, of course, to program her man. Eager for love, you then insert the disc into this perfect person companion. And then you answer the questions as they appear on the screen, right? And these are the questions, and I have in your handout here. Follow along as we go through this story. So this, this, this purple handout. The perfect person companion, on the computer screen there on the perfect person companion is man. The first thing they ask is, what name would you like to give to your perfect person companion? So you like the name Brad, so you put Brad. The second one you put, what kind of things would you like to hear first thing in the morning? So you pre-program this perfect person companion to say to you every morning, good morning, gorgeous. <laughs> B, you look as lovely as you did yesterday. C, a long night's sleep detracts nothing from your beauty. D, I was dreaming about you all night, sweetheart. And E, I love your messy morning look. How does that sound? I think kind of pathetic, but I guess women, they love this, okay? So let's stick with it. So there we go. But it doesn't end there. You program it, number three, and there's multiple choice from there on. So this is what happens. They ask, the computer question comes up, how many times per month would you like breakfast served to you in bed? A, you have every day. B, vary between five to ten times a month. And C, other, you put every day. Four, sense of humor type. You put A, had A, funny, silly, hilarious, charming. You put C, hilarious. Next question, what is your favorite flower? It had roses, carnations, peacocky, or others, choices. You put peacocky. Next question, public displays of attention. Had yes or had no? You put yes, you like that. Next one, personality type. 
had sanguine or life of the party. He had phlegmatic, melancholy, or choleric. You like something who was outgoing, so you put sanguine. The last question was IQ. And you had genius, intelligent, average, or moron, and you put moron. <laughs> so there you are, you created your perfect person companion. So when you're done, you program this, this perfect man for your life, right? Everything you ever desire. Then what you do is you turn him on, he comes to life, and he's more handsome alive than he was when he was charging, right? There he was. Brad turns out to be everything you've ever wanted. He's strong, funny, kind, sensitive, and a gentleman. And whenever you wanted him to plan a certain date, the day before, you would go and you would pre-program him to plan a special date. <laughs> whenever you wanted him to be spontaneous, you would go before the day before and you pre-program him to be spontaneous the next day. Whenever you had a hair appointment, you made sure that you pre-programmed Brad that when he noticed, saw you, he would notice you with extreme excitement and big compliments. What more could a woman ask for? Amen? So you programmed this Brad and you had, what more could you ask for? A lot, actually. In the first two months, your relationship with Brad felt like it was heaven on earth. Everything was going good. But then you realize that something was missing in your, your relationship. So then you go to Brad and say, Brad, I've realized that you don't love me. In fact, you never really loved me. And then Brad says to you, of course I love you, sweetheart, with all of my heart. Just like you programmed him to say, right? And he said, no, you don't love me. You don't even have a heart. So then you shut down Brad. You're sad, but you know it's the right thing to do. You put him back in the box to return him. You know it's, it's just not working out. And at that moment, you realize that whenever Brad said anything kind to you, it was really you programming Brad to be kind to you, right? Say something kind. Whenever something, Brad did something sweet for you, it was really you pre-programming Brad to be sweet back toward you, right? You realize that Brad didn't love you because he was a mindless, heartless machine. Then they took Brad away. You realize, by the way, you got that 90-day money-back guarantee just in time, right? And as they were taken away, you realize that the love of a robot is no love at all, no matter how perfect. Amen? And we learn about what love is. Love is, if it begins with you and ends with someone else, then that is love. If it begins with you, but it comes, goes to whoever means, but it comes back to you, then that is what? Selfishness, right? That is sin. And if God had pre-programmed us to love him, to serve him, and obey him, it would really be God programming us. In other words, it would really be God programming us to love him. It would really be God loving himself, beloved. Amen? God programming us, yes, I'll obey you, just like Brad obeyed his girlfriend, right, as a robot. God 
God will be programming the, us to love Him. And it will be something because, and it will be against God's very character because God is love, right? He couldn't do it. He could not call it love. Call it whatever you may, but it could not be called love because love starts with God. It must, it must come back. It must go out to someone else. It can't be programmed so that you would love me because I told you to love me, right? You love me because of your free own will and choice. You choose to love God. That is the power of freedom. The power of choice this morning. Look at this handout here on the quotation of Patriots and Prophets on the last page. Listen to this. It says, God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. He could have made us so that we wouldn't sin. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. He could have held back Adam's hand so that he wouldn't touch the fruit, right? But in that case, Man would have been not a free moral agent, but a mere automaton, a robot. That's all he would have been. Without freedom of choice, his obedience would not have been voluntary, but forced. Amen? Do you see that? So God could not pre-program us. It would be his own thoughts Loving himself. But God wanted free choice to love him back in return. Now, what would a truth always do? John chapter 8, verse 36. Turn to John, please, in your Bible, chapter 8, verse 36. You see, if God had pre-programmed us to not sin, yes, God could have gotten everything he wanted. I mean, no sin and no pain and suffering. He would have gotten everything but love. He created us for his pleasure. And that pleasure was that he wanted to love us and he wanted us out of our free choice and decision to love him back. That's what he wanted. Not a mere robot, automaton. He didn't want that. He wanted us not pre-programmed to love him, but free to choose, free to love him, free to reject him, free to hate him, whatever. But when... When we chose to love him, oh, what joy that thrills his heart when he was, we respond back to his love, love, amen? That's what he wanted, freedom. To know that you're going to love him because I forced you to love me is no joy at all. But for experience the love of you loving him back because you choose to love him when you could reject him, thrills his heart with a love that it was worth it. In creating us for love. Amen? Love is risky. It's called the high stakes of love. Now what would the truth always do? John 8 verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? God made you free and you will be free Indeed, it was the purpose of Jesus to set people free, free from the control of others, whether it was the government, whether it was the church, or whether it was the husband or the wife or the parents or the children. God sent Jesus and he came to set us free from the control of others this morning, beloved. Amen? Okay, next quote here. This is a powerful one. It says, Without freedom of choice, his Adam's obedience would not have been voluntary but forced. And listen to the next quote. Next, um, next line, it says, there, without freedom of choice, 
there could have been no development of character. You see, beloved, in order for us to develop, develop that character, that thoughts and feelings to get into heaven, we must be allowed to choose. Amen? Thus God put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and bad, in the garden, in the middle of the garden. We must be allowed to choose. Now, if God was a parent, he is a parent, but if we were to see how the perfect parent would work, this is how God, this is how a perfect parent works. Look at, actually, as well, story in the, tree of, in the Garden of Eden. God allowed, God, first of all, he told Adam and Eve what to do, eat the tree of life, from the tree of life, right? And he also told them what not to do. It was clear, it was not ambiguous. It was very clearly laid out that, the, that the, his children were not guessing. They knew what the law was. It was very clear. Not only that, but when he told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was bad, he gave them a reason why you shouldn't eat it, right? Don't ask why, just do it. You ever heard that before? But God gave them a freedom of choice. He told them not to do it, and then he gave them a reason. What was the reason why they shouldn't eat up the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why? Because he said, in the day you eat thereof, you would what? He gave it a reason why. He gave them a reason why. Not only that, but in raising his children, he did not take them out of the environment and put them in a completely sterile environment. Right? In other words, God allowed good and bad to be in that environment. What he was more concerned about was, he was more concerned about them, him teaching them how to make right choices of good and bad within that environment, right? If God had just taken out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and just had a tree of life, he's creating an artificial environment which was not good for the character development to choose. And if we just take out all the bad things and always trying to protect our children, and I mean, we need to protect to a certain extent, but if we always make it sterile, they'd have contact with no one and trying to protect in a church setting and everything, we're really taking away the freedom to choose and thus develop within the character, right? Amen? And thus, I've seen it over and over. Once they leave the home and you're controlling their environment and forcing them to do what is right all the time, and they're not practicing good choices, when they get out in the real world, guess what happens when mom and dad are no longer hovering over them to make sure they're forced to choose the one option they're forcing? They do go crazy. They make bad choices. Our goal as parents should be to teach them to make good choices in the midst of good and bad choices. Amen? That's how God worked within the Garden of Eden. And then also, when they did make that bad choice, he stood up for what he said was true. Even though they did not die, he, they still were disciplined, right? It was very clear. Then he said, well, yeah, yeah, you do that, I'm going to spank you. And he said a hundred times, he's still saying, do that, I'm going to spank you, or whatever. He's still saying it, he's still doing it. What he said happened. He took discipline. And that's why God allows freedom to choose to make decisions, and that's why we as church leaders must allow the church members to make decisions on their own, even if we feel they're going to mess up, right? Amen? That's why we as a spouse must allow our husband or wife to make decisions on their own, even if we think they're going to make a mistake, right? That's why we must allow 
our children to try out a decision or a choice, even if we think they're going to fail, right? Is that not true? Is that how God treated us? And they will never develop unless you give them the freedom to choose, unless you give them more than one option. Because they never, they're, if you only give them one option, you're really forcing them to do what you want them to do. And you're not training them to make right choices. What will happen in the last days? Turn to Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. What will happen in the last days? The Bible says, talking about the image of the beast. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause or force, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. 16. And he causes all, or he forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in the foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In other words, in the last crisis, the papacy and apostate Protestantism is going to come together and it's going to force you and if you don't do it, they're going to kill you. If you don't do it, they're going to make it so you can't buy or sell. They're going to use force tactics to do, make you do what they want you to do and to compel your conscience. But it's not so much the day that's going to be the last issue as is the compelling of the conscience. Look at the last quote. It says here, Not a move has been made in exalting the idol Sabbath and bringing around Sunday observance through legislation but Satan has been behind it and has been the chief worker. In other words, Satan is behind his movement for a national day of rest or Sunday law. He's been behind it. We know that. But notice the next quote. I continue on. It says this. But the conscience should not be compelled or forced even for the observance of the what? Genuine Sabbath. Hmm. For God will accept only willing service, beloved. Amen? In other words, beloved, the, the main issue in the last days is not so much the issue of the day, which is an issue. Not so much the day of the issue of whether it's Sunday or Saturday. The true main issue in the last days is that God will not force the conscience, whether it's Sunday or it's a genuine Sabbath, beloved, because God, that, that, that law of forcing is contrary to God's character of love this morning, beloved. Amen? And thus we must prepare our people to make decisions, to make choices. So when this decision comes in the last day, they will choose the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, beloved. Amen? To choose and to value choice. Now what will not arise the second time? Turn to Nahum chapter 1 verse 9. Nahum chapter 1 verse 9 is after Amos, Obadiah. Micah, Nahum, chapter 1, verse 9. Notice the Bible says, What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an other end. Affliction or sin will not rise up the second time. In other words, when we get to heaven, sin is not going to rise up in heaven again. But not because God is going to take away our freedom of choice in heaven, beloved. Is God going to take away our freedom to choose in heaven? Is it possible that we could choose still to sin. Just because the word says. But in a sense, we are in a sense because 
God still allows the freedom to choose. But the reason why we're not going to sin is not because God's going to force us not to sin, but because we have chosen and we will forever choose to never sin again, beloved. Amen? It's in our mind. God still allows the freedom and affliction is not going to rise, not because, there's a prophecy that's going to come true, not because he's going to take away your free will, your freedom to choose, but because you love him so much and you're going to obey and serve him for the rest of your life and for eternity and that sin will never rise again, beloved. Amen? It will never rise. This morning, God will only allow, that's why God's only going to allow those into heaven who have made good choices time and time again, beloved. Amen? But this time around, He can't afford to allow into heaven those who make bad choices. But beloved, you cannot make the right choice until you first love God. And you cannot love God until you first see His love for you. So this morning, are you, willing to, are you willing to love him so that you may serve and obey him and choose to love him the rest of your life? If this is your desire, then will you raise your hand with me this morning? Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is hymn number 75, The Wonder of It All.